And uh, tonight we'll continue with uh, questions and answers. We've been discussing the appearance, uh, significance of Sri Baldev, and um, we'll do a little bit more of that, perhaps conclude that tomorrow in the morning, again from Bhagavatam, and in the evening we have been entertaining questions, either related to or unrelated to the topics discussed thus far. So, any questions? Question from yesterday. Okay. She's asking me, I have a question about doubting souls. Question about doubting souls. Yeah, I think she writes 4.40 with the some side of Only souls can doubt. The <laughs> <laughs> suspicious persons are suspended, unable to be successful in any sphere. What about if the doubt is a result of bad karma slash apparat? And in one sense, one has no choice but to let it play out. Is one condemned to be a quote-unquote nitya-buddha? Is one uh, condemned to be a nitya-buddha, an eternally conditioned soul, uh, because of doubting? Hmm? So, as I mentioned uh, there, interrupting, forgive me the question, but I couldn't resist. Doubting is, uh, in one sense, the uh, function of the soul. I mean, in other words, it's kind of an evidence for the existence of the soul. So, we, unfortunately, in modern society, we, we doubt, some people doubt, seriously doubt, the existence of the soul or the transcendent nature of self. And uh, they put a lot of energy into doubting that. It's kind of illogical in the broadest sense in that the denial of a primary position to consciousness and a causal uh, role of consciousness requires at its root and primarily consciousness in order to engage in the act of denial. So this is an old argument, of course, as far, as far back as at least this uh, Shankar and Vedanta, that, uh, that that which can be dismissed is not real. This was his idea. And because consciousness cannot be dismissed because dismissing is an act of consciousness, therefore it is the, the uh, ultimate and enduring reality. And the argument uh, holds to to uh, a large extent, not to the extent that because things can be dismissed, they don't exist. If they didn't exist in the first place, then how could they be dismissed? So Shankar doesn't give a meaningful role to the world, to the objective world. His would be something like a pure subjectivity um, only consciousness, therefore jagan mitya, brahma satyam, brahma, brahma satyam jagan mitra. Consciousness, brahman, is real and the world is false. So Ramanuja would come and say, well, what's the meaning of pure subjectivity if there's no object for it to be 
conscious of, aware of, and so forth. So no, the world does exist, and then a qualified uh, non-dualism, vishishtadvaita, from Ramanuja, Vaishnava idea, and so forth. And many commentators after that, as you know, the majority of the Vedantists are theists. We have Advaita Vedanta, which is which is non-theistic, monistic. Uh, then we have Vishishta Dvaita, Dvaita, Dvaita Dvaita, and Dvaita Dvaita Chintya, or Chintya Veda Veda. So these are five well-known schools of Vedanta, four of which are theistic, Vaishnav schools. So at any rate, the the, the value from our perspective of uh, Shankar's perception as to the primacy of consciousness is as is maintained through all of the Vaishnav schools of thought, and um, it's really how the old world used to think, even from a Western perspective. Plato gave more value to a world of the world of what well, I guess he said the world of forms or something like that. He had an idea that there is a real world that's more real. Then our world is kind of a reflection of a world of our present experience, which is kind of a reflection of that world that is mathematical principles, a world of mathematical principles and that that's non physical hmm? something like that in Greece, of course, this is then from there Western philosophy evolves, and it's not that far from the east from India, therefore you have some evidence for ingress of Eastern or Indian thought into Western thought. Pythagoras was the great mathematician, and I think there's some evidence that he got some ideas from India where zero came from, and as Einstein said, without the Indians we couldn't do anything in science, without zero. Hmm? So, um, this is... uh, Really not an Eastern or Western idea. I like to say it is a human idea that there is something more to what uh, than what meets the eye, and it's us. We are the more, and we are seeking the the uh, that uh, moreness <laughs> that uh, that uh, the physical world seems to get in the way of, and and so on might be thought of as a childish idea, a naive idea. In the beginning, you think you can do anything, and then you find out there are limitations. and You want to continue with your childishness and posit something beyond um, that, uh, that which we have readily experience of. But this is not what we are doing in Vedanta. We're not positing something that we have no experience of. We're positing a particular description and definition of the nature of experience. There's something in us, this is called the hard problem of consciousness in philosophy of mind and and um, neuroscience and so forth. Why the why there's experience? Why what is what is the where is it in there? <laughs> it can't be found as of yet. So um, so it's it's a mystery. Uh, consciousness today, a very huge mystery. The big the big mystery. It remains the big mystery. And we prefer to 
solve the mystery by listening to those who speak about uh, the more and experience of the more. And we accept the metaphysical implications that they, um, assumptions that they arrive at from experiencing the self through meditation, through yoga, uh, differentiating consciousness from matter by moving away from matter, going within. Hmm? It's kind of an objective subjectivity. You have to be very objective to do yoga, to do meditation. You have to become detached. Hmm? That requires some objectivity from the world. Hmm? And so arguably you can get a better perspective on what it is by that detachment. Hmm? And, um, but it's, it's, it's object, it's objective subjectivity. So it's an objective approach to trying to better understand the nature of subjectivity of consciousness. So anyway, consciousness is the doubter, the thinker. The, this is what uh, Descartes said in a simple way in his dualism. I, I doubt, therefore I am. Hmm? He kind of, I think, therefore I might doubt. So, um, if we are to be, if we are asked, you know, where is the soul? How can you measure it? And so forth. And we can reply the same way that you measure red. Hmm? The experience of red, for example. Hmm? You can't measure it. You, you can put, as, it, as the argument goes, Mary in a room who's colorblind, and she can learn everything about the color red. What photons it consists of, what reflect, refraction of light and so forth makes up the, the idea of, uh, the, of, of red. But she, has, she still has never seen a red rose and gone red. <laughs> and, and she doesn't have that <laughs> experience. So <clears throat> the idea of that experiment, that thought experiment as it was put out, years ago was it's an argument for the idea that consciousness is not physical because everything physical about red is there but still the experience of red is not people have argued against it and not that well in my opinion even the, the originator originator of the argument but the point is that at least in the scientific world in the philosophical world of western philosophy consciousness remains a huge uh, mystery hmm? they have some doubts about it hmm? And then um, through, through yoga and meditation, we can become sure about it. We can be sure that the doubter uh, exists and it's ourself and it's the more and so forth. But the question is, well, what if we, what if we, we're plagued by doubts uh, so that to the extent that we can't put such um, a discipline in, into practice? This is a problem. Suspicion uh, leads to suspension. So um, the remedy for this, of course, is, is good association, like for many things. For good, asso- good association of an experiencer and so forth um, who can speak as logically and as, in a compelling way as possible and exhibit another worldliness of, of sorts. Um, and uh, that can... Um, uh, sometimes silence are are doubting and uh, and um, and I mean by that by 
yes by some discussion and 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 so on. But if you're too much troubled by this doubting, obviously then, well, what about this? What about that? It'll go on forever, right? Hmm? That's that's not helpful. So, so somehow if we can get good association and develop a, an affinity for good association, and, and like the sadhu, hmm? and, and then we can do something for the, in the interest of the of such uh, sadhu sangha and so forth, then perhaps over time we can get some experience of the nature of experience as described by Vedanta itself. As far as anittibhada, we are anittibhadas, we are eternally conditioned, but our conditioning is eternal in the sense that it has no beginning, not that it it, it has uh, no end, potentially. And so, no, I would say no, it is not that the doubting Thomas, if you will, um, uh, has to remain perpetually in material existence. In other words, in light of the 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 beginning of the end and the remedy to a conditioning without beginning, sadhu sangha, divine intervention, and so forth. If we then hesitate, well, he hesitates is lost. It's said, but still we get some contact, some association. And often, more often than not, the, the full benefit or fruit of sadhusanga, of, of some engagement in bhakti and so forth, is not going to accrue immediately. Hmm? It may accrue immediately in, the, in an invisible sense of eradicating previous karma that you would have had to incur that will never come to bear fruit. Hmm? And the present parabdha karma, the manifest karma, is also edited. Hmm? Edited in such a way by the grace of Harinam and so forth that 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 if, if we were attentive in our sadhana, the, 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 the edited form of the karma will be a form of learning also. Mm. Um, so something's going on, and the next life, mm, have no doubt, will be there, and uh, and you'll be in a better position. Mm. So. I don't think that they're doomed forever. You can say the doubt and it perpetuates itself. But I say, again, by by divine intervention, this doubting can come to an end. Maybe not in this life. We do find people forever on the fence about... I, I have pushed a few over the... you know, into, into the pasture um, in my time. <laughs> so it's possible, but there are those that remain there, and they may be there because of previous... Offense. We find a person that hovers around the Vaishnavas and likes them, but just can't quite go there, and so forth. And uh, so they may be suffering from offense from their previous life. Um, we find um, such people may have readily have a capacity to understand the theory, and uh, even better than others who get involved, but they can't quite get involved, and it goes on for ever, and then you, they, they write you, and I get letters like this, I've had a few, you know, I met Prabhupada in 1972, and, you know, I never got initiated, and uh, all these years I've been around, and, you know, and I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I should, um, you know, I could connect with you, and so I write him back, I never hear from him again, <laughs> it's happened several times, this, you know, it's really unfortunate, it's painful, but it's not something to laugh at, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, it is a a reality for some people that they are on the fence and they can't quite get off. But I, as I say, I think 
that in the next life they'll be in a better position. They're kind of playing out whatever offense has been the, the problem in, in this life, and if not making more offenses and so forth, and, and many of these people are, don't do that, um, then next life they'll have opportunity. So I wouldn't uh, in any way underestimate the power of bhakti and divine intervention in relation to things that we could do that could get in our way. Yes, offense is the worst thing. You know, material desires, an artist's distractions and so forth are one thing, kind of like sins of the flesh and any other sins of the soul, or you go against your own soul and bhakti. And so Nam Aparad, Guru Aparad, Vaishnava Aparad, and so forth. These things are certainly the results of these are more um, enduring, but we find, for example, the results of Vaishnava Aparad can carry into Bhava Bhakti even and, and linger there until they become mitigated and one can get prem. But it hasn't barred one from, from beginning in, t- in the next life and taking it up and, and so on. So uh, I wouldn't be doubtful or fearful that I may remain perpetually a Nityabhada. There's no um, evidence to support that in light of the fact that we're talking about someone who's come in touch with bhakti. Hmm? And of course we'll have the idea, everyone will get a chance to come in touch with bhakti and then someone will say, well, does that mean the whole world will empty out at one time? We say no because there's infinite number of souls in material existence. So, there you go. what do you do? Um, that's a fact. Hmm? The finite idea, that is the mayic idea, the counting idea. Hmm? That I can count and there's a limited finite number of jivas and so on and so forth. This is a forever thing. This is a leela. We're in it. The shishti leela of Mahavishnu. Hmm? We manifest for the sake of that and in the context of that for the opportunity to meet our maker, so to speak. So from the Mahavishnu, the avatars come to remedy the situation, take us to the other side. Hmm? He has a leela, just like Baladeva describing, has leela in, in, in Golok. He manifests the Dham, and he manifests Sri Dham, Subal, this one, that one, and so forth. He expands into Baikuntas Mahasankarshan, he manifests Parshadas, retinue, the eternal uh, associates of of Narayana. Then from there the Mahavishnu manifests and the world. And so there's no meaning to the world without souls. So it's another field, another realm. So souls for that Leela manifest. And that Leela is uh, ultimately about or includes in a big way the liberation of the Nityabhada hmm? who's there from time without without beginning. That's why Vishnu is depicted as, as making the world through his breathing. The out-breath comes to the world, the in-breath, it, 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 it comes to rest, and then it goes out again. So there's no beginning to the breathing of Mahavishnu. So there's no beginning to the world. Hmm. The world comes and goes. It has, it has linear time within circular, cycl- cyclical time. Hmm. It comes and goes, comes and goes. There's a, so many years it goes and it comes back, but there's no big beginning to that. It's without beginning. Hmm? But it, yet for us, karma hmm, can come to an end by divine intervention. And that divine intervention is more powerful than our karma, and it's more powerful even than our moving 
uh, against it. Therefore, for example, it said, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave bhakti and prema bhakti, as you were saying, extraordinary, in a powerful way, just by glancing to anyone who asks for it. Hmm? We've been discussing about Nityananda Ram. What did he do? He gave it to those who didn't want it, hmm? who refused it, who fought against it, like Jagai and Madai and so forth. That's the classic example. So, Bhakti is very generous. You put it in the hands of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it becomes extremely generous. And then whatever limitations, as we heard this morning, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in the context of his, in the context of his leela, might have experienced in terms of his ambition to distribute it everywhere, hmm? limitations um, resulting from his being a sannyasi, for example. And he took sannyas for a reason, that people would uh, distinguish him from the crowd hmm? and then take advantage of what he had to offer. But at the same time, if a sannyasi went to a place of ill repute, then who would listen to the sannyasi? They would think, what's he doing over there? Hmm? So he, in that way, his leela as a sannyasi restricted him, but of course he overcomes the restriction by his other self in the form of Nityananda Prabhu, who went there. Hmm? He's called Nityananda Avaduta. So Avaduta means he goes to the uh, lowest place and uh, and is unaffected by that and uplifts the the, the uh, downtrodden uh, persons, even from the classic example. He went to the brothel and he saw him with a working lady, but you should know he was only there for delivering them, something like that. And this is, we, we find this, this, what his leela was about, again, the classic example, Jagai Madai. So, Bhakti is generous in and of herself. Put her, hands, put her in the hands of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, put her in the hands of... of um, Rupa Goswami made the statement. What did he say? He was smart, wise. He knew bhakti is extraordinary. Prem bhakti, super extraordinary. It's a very private thing. This prem is is very much a Gaudiya word. It, it goes beyond Gaudiya Vaishnavism to other sects of Vaishnavism, but it's the prayogen. Moksha is the prayogen of other uh, Sampradayas, Abhishnav, Moksha, Liberation. We say Prem is the Prayogen. That's a nice idea. So he knew what that was, the Prem of, of Braj, Braj Bhakti. And when he saw Chaitanya Mahaprabhu giving it out, he thought, this must be Krishna. Namo Maha, Badanaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate. Hmm? He's, he's, this is his, his quality. He's Mahabadanaya. Krishna Prema Pradayate. This is his activity. Hmm? This is what he does. His gunas, Mahabodhanai, his leelas, Krishna Prema Pradayate. He gives prema to everyone. Hmm? And his name, guna, leela, nam. Namne gora tushe namaha. Namne gora tushe namaha. Something like that. Namo Mahabodhanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate. Krishnaya. Krishna, Chaitanya, Namne Gora, Dishenama. He's Krishna. Hmm? Krishna Chaitanya is his name, but he's really Krishna hmm? in a golden in a golden form. Is the idea hmm? very nice verse? So he's he's saying you know, Krishna can give this out. Only Krishna could give this out like this. Hmm? 
in his other self, from, to extend that, and so on. So, so in, such, in the face of such a generous, uh, generous lords, gods, and uh, dispensation, and so forth, it would be difficult to doubt your way out of it altogether, having been in contact with it and been touched by it, and so forth. So, does that help? Uh, okay. But, you know, doubting, you know, too much doubting, that's, uh, that's a problem. Hmm. Yes? Karaj, I had a question. You started to answer it a minute ago, but earlier you were describing, like, a field where there's Ragmarg on one side, and then Karmarg on the other, and somewhere in between is Vaidimarg. And I was just wondering, um, where would we find, for instance, like, the demigod worship, but also, where would we find Balaji, who's, who I've been told is like, is Krishna himself? And what is the prayogen for um, demigod worship and the prayogen for Balaji? Well, the demigod worship is the karma mark. So we worship the, the, the gods and goddesses, uh, you know, acknowledging the various powers of nature and consciousness behind them and so on and so forth. Largely, um, it's done for the sake of various attainments. There's a whole section in the Bhagavatam, Sutta Baswami, when he begins to speak, um, uh, among other things, says, and if you want good health, you worship the sun god, and if you want this, you worship that god, and you want this, you worship that goddess, and and akama sarvakamu va mokshakamu dharadi bhakti yogena yadeta purusham param. He comes to this conclusion. But anyway, he says, whatever you want, if you have akama, sarvakamu va, if you have no desire, or you have all kind of desires, akama, sarvakamu va, moksha kama, if you desire liberation, udaradi, tibrena bhakti yogena yajeta purusham param. You should worship the Supreme Purush with bhakti yoga. This put an end to all this, this other worship, something like that. It doesn't, we'll talk about this later one of our classes perhaps but um, it doesn't really put an end to the worship of the gods and goddesses it puts an end to worshiping them um, without understanding their position in relation to the whole hmm? so that's out of balance hmm? and so that's the kind of worship that Krishna belittles in the Gita, says, for less intelligent people. He's not saying you should criticize the demigods and you shouldn't glorify Durga or Ganesh and, and so forth, but to understand them in perspective. Then you can truly uh, glorify them. Otherwise, you don't understand the, the, whole, their whole, their, the entirety of their purpose and place and so forth. And you end up with all this endeavor in the Karma Marg, which is a huge endeavor. I mean, like it said hundred lifetimes of perfectly executing the Vaishnava, the Varnashram Dharma. You could take birth as a Brahma. I mean, if you could do it in one lifetime, you'd, you'd be like, you know, incredible. <laughs> I mean, it, it's all the details of the of the Karma Mark, uh, Varnashram Dharma. Just, these people who advocate the Varnashram, they have no idea what all it involves. Sanatana Goswami takes a huge sigh in Brihad Bhagavatam at the very beginning, oh, to be free from all of this and tread the Bhakti Marg. Yes, this is uh, such a this is such a relief. Hmm? So, so worship of the gods and goddesses, as I'm speaking about it, which is the normal hmm, idea, I mean, it has its 
place too. Like I say, we can worship for material gain without understanding the whole picture, and it can be a gradual. It's meant to be, I should say, a gradual way to get people on board and get involved. But often, what happens, as we say, is you get involved in in a religious idea, and then you you become at odds with its real spirit, and then you have these whole you know, the whole karma mimamsa fighting with uttar mimamsa. The religious sector fighting with the Vedantins. And it's like, Vedanta is what religion is meant to bring us to. From, in other words, coloring our human life with a religious uh, paint, hmm? shades and so forth, and everything that we do that is humanity from birth to naming your children, to marrying them, to their having children, and so on and so on. All these different sung scars for different stages of life and all the whole range of human activity to bring it in touch with the divine and live a, grac- a life of gratitude and so forth. And so there's so many gods and goddesses. Sometimes the Christians have a problem with all these gods in Hinduism, you know. And actually, there's a god for everything, so... It makes one very God-conscious, uh, so to speak. Uh, it's a God for breathing, for seeing, for hearing, for speaking, and and so on. So, um, but again, um, it uh, it's one thing to color one's life with uh, with uh, the uh, uh, the, uh, the tint of of, uh, of of God, the touch of God, and another thing to understand: there's a difference between myself and my humanity. Hmm? So from religious life to spiritual, experiential life, one is meant to lead to the other, but sometimes we get waylaid on the religious side and even come in opposition to mysticism and so forth. This is uh, problematic. So uh, this is what Krishna says, is less intelligent. Hmm? And... uh, and even without coming in opposition to the spirit of it, it's, it's less intelligent from the bigger perspective, hmm? the broader perspective. So he wants to give, it, give Arjuna that. He's teaching Vedanta in the Gita. He, does, he dismisses the Dharma mark pretty readily. Hmm? He gives a little credence to it in the beginning, and then he comes down heavy. Right? Sarvadharman pratyajja mami kam saranam brajya Don't worry about all the sins that... Dharma Marg is all concerned about. Just take shelter with me completely. Hmm? Forget everything else. So hmm, then, so that's the demigods. And Balaji, Balaji is 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 a Vaikuntha-esque uh, kind of uh, idea of Krishna. Hmm? Balaji in Tirupati. Right? It's so in Vaikuntha, then Narayan uh, has different faces that are. Uh, the different avatars. Hmm? And so, like, for example, in I went to Barakala once, which is uh, in, in South India, in, in Kerala, near Trivendram, um, and the big Janardhan deity there, he's probably like 20 feet long, you know, lying down. It's what Vishnu does. He's in a kind of yoga nidram. Most of the time, he's sleeping. He wakes up for a little while, and the world goes on, and he says, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> this is, I, I tried. <laughs> you know, so he, he, he's, there he is, and he's reclining like this. It means that 
that life in the material world doesn't really turn God on too much. You know, he he descends to try to remedy remedy it, to put out the nightmare of materialism. He started it; it became a nightmare. Hmm? It was a dream. Uh, what what does he say? In uh, Vedanta uh, Sutra, the world. Uh, what is that verse? Anyway, out of joy, the world was. He had a dream. I had a dream. Hmm? The dream was there would be many. Hmm? And wouldn't that be great? Instead of just me, there would be many. Hmm? Of the stamp of myself and so forth. So many jivas. But there is something called uh, the Maya Shakti as well. And he presides over that. So the many, they're small. They come in touch with the Maya Shakti. It becomes problematic for them in the dream. becomes a nightmare. So he tries to remedy that by descending. Avatar with so many different descents and and so on. So there's, there's this, it's not a great, not real exciting for him. On the, in contrast, theologically, we find Krishna in the Braj. He's up all night. Hmm? He's up all day and he's up all night. He's not, he's not sleeping. He, that, this is, the bhakti is so prominent there that it's got him. He's not lying down. He's dancing. He's really at the beck and call of his devotees, practically. Hmm? So these are the these are the ideas that these the, the way that, that God uh, is depicted, for example, by the mystics and experienced, seek to tell us, seek to speak to us about. Hmm? Um, so they went to Barakala, and there was Janard, and it happened to be uh, maybe maybe it was I think it, maybe it was. Maybe Nishinga Chaturdasi, or, or maybe it was near Janamastami, I forget. Or after. But anyway, on the day of Nishinga Chaturdasi, on the day of Janamastami, on the day of the Varaha's appearance, and so forth, then they decorate the Janardhan somewhat. It looked like, like Krishna, like Narasimha, like Varaha, and so forth. Hmm? It's very nice. Hmm? And so they're honoring the different moods emotional moods of um, Bhagavan, Janardhan, or Vishnu, Narayan. Hmm? This Mahavishnu and the, and the successive Vishnus, they, in, for the material world, they're all coming from Mahanarayan. So they, you know, preoccupation with them, for example, with Vishnu and yoga will take you in the highest reach with an admixture of Bhakti to Bhaikunta and eternal meditation on Narayan. Hmm? Um, and there he has, anyway, different faces for different devotees. Hmm? And so there's the face of Krishna also. We find in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, for example, that Gopu Kumar goes to Vaikuntha. Hmm? He's taking a, a journey through all the different possibilities, religious possibilities. As I said, as I said the other day, it's a, a book about comparative religion, really. It's a very basic Gaudiya book, but very profound and important book. And so anyway, he, he goes to Vaikuntha where the God is worshipped in, in awe and, and reverence and so forth. And His destiny, meanwhile, is Goloka as a cowherd. Hmm? He sees Narayan and, and Narayan shows him, nobody else, but shows him his Gopal Krishna side. And he goes, hey Gopal! 
And they go, what do you do? And the other people go, stop that, that's Narayan. And so Narad has to pull him aside and say, look, cool it, you don't do that here. You don't belong here. This is a great place, but you have a, another destiny to go to Goloka there. Hmm? But Narayan, is, of course, loves Gopakumar, hmm? like anything. So he shows him his Gopal Leela. Hmm? He'll, he'll be looking at Narayan. Narayan will show him this, and he'll see Gopal herding cows and so forth. But he's not, he can't, Narayan's trying to get him to stay there in a sense, you know. Will this satisfy you? Here's my Narayan, my, my, my Gopal Leela. Hmm? In other words, there's a perspective in Vaikuntha. And the perspective, this particular perspective is that Krishna is one of the avatars of Narayan. Hmm? You can find that perspective in the encyclopedia. He's the eighth incarnation of, of uh, Vishnu, something like that. We um, argue against that while accepting it at the same time. Krishna's Kaviraj makes a beautiful argument against that and for the primacy of Krishna as a source of all avatars. And when he's all finished, he says, but anyway, he says, some people, I'm saying that Krishna is the source of Narayan and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. He gives a beautiful argument, a profound argument about it. And then he says, but anyway, if you'd like to see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the avatar of Vishnu, Mahavishnu, it's not very flattering, but it's not necessarily wrong either. He can be many things to many people. That is a particular angle of vision. They think like that in Vaikuntha. And of course, there's a side to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the Yuga Avatar as well. So, so they they sometimes in Vaikuntha, you know, they're not unaware of the Gopalila, but they just don't see it in the same way that we do, and they, therefore they don't experience the fullness of it. Actually, so Balaji's like that, Atirapati. He's uh, he's a Vaikuntha version of of Krishna and that's what you find you find uh, I haven't had the darshan of Balaji but he's probably got four arms hmm? right yeah so with the, 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 the four arms Krishna has four arms too in Dwarka in, in, in uh, Hastinapur sometimes hmm? depends who he's with uh, and, you know how he'll manifest himself and so on but it, it's at forms, obviously, is moving in the direction of his godliness. Sometimes we say, I've only got two hands, okay? Mother will say, look, I've only got two hands. So the idea is, well, if you had four, yeah, you'd be supernatural. <laughs> and you could do everything. Hmm? So when the Godhead is depicted with four hands, it means he's God. Hmm? This is not ordinary. When he's two-handed, then it's... Is he God? Is he not God? What? So there's a whole theology for that, for appreciating the, 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 the more profound, the more, the more, if you will, of the two-handed over the four-handed idea. Hmm? There's uh, uh, Arjun liked both. Therefore, after he saw the the um, Vishvarup, and he didn't like that, hmm, he said, "Please show me your forearm form." We can understand from that. Sometimes he would see the forearm form. He wasn't didn't object to it. Hmm? He liked that. Hmm? But then he said, but further, show me the two-arm form. That's even more endearing. Hmm? So that's when that happens. That's when he gets on the same bed and says, hey, Krishna, hey, Saki, hey. 
and intimately with him and gives him a shove and, and so forth. Which then he apologized for when he saw the Vishvarup and and so on. He said, yeah, I want to go back to that. Yeah. So this is a kind of, we call Pura Sambandhi, a kind of friendship. Two types of Sakyarasa, one for the Brajalila, one for outside the Brajalila, Mathura and Dwarka. Hmm? Arjun, um, Bhima, Draupadi, they are all in this kind of Sakyarasa. Hmm? So they'll see Krishna sometimes with four arms, sometimes with two arms, and uh, the more he manifests his, his godliness, then it creates a little distance, but that will never happen in the Braj. If Krishna shows something extraordinary, like with his one arm and his one tiny finger, lifts the whole of Govardhan Hill, his friends are thinking, you must be getting tired. Hmm? Their, their sticks are there helping him to hold the hill. So even though he shows his godliness in a way that exceeds anything he did in Dwarka, really. Hmm? So there's more Aishvarya there. It doesn't interfere with their prame. They only it only fosters their prame. It's 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 they think, well, that's cool, he's doing that, yeah. Narayan it's Gargamuni said Narayan would do wonderful things through him. Hmm. But they don't think he's Narayan. I should pay my respects here, something like that. And all the gods are doing that, Indra and it's the Govardhan Leela and so forth. So anyway, there's a there's a Vaikuntha hmm. Krishna, if you will, Gopal. Apology hmm? is, is that kind of Krishna. And he's very wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just got outdone by Padmanabh, though. Hmm. He was the wealthiest deity in India. And they just found $11 billion of, yeah, of, of treasure in the uh, Padmanabh Chetra in Trivendram. Uh, uh, huge temple there. In one of the caves or something, you know, Lock boxes there, eleven billion. It came on the paper. Eleven billion dollars they found in in gold and jewels and so forth. It had all been donated to the deity over I don't know how many you know centuries. He's become the wealthiest deity. Uh, Balaji must be. There's some competition going on there, I guess. <laughs> and they said there was another lock box they hadn't opened yet. So now they've got to have security guards around the temple and so forth. The point is not to keep all that money to spend it. <laughs> Suspended every day on the deity. That that would be. Of course, what would he do? Buy him jewels. <laughs> you could open more temples for him. Mm-hmm. You could serve him in his form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And his, and his mission, we should go there and say, "Look, you're the wealthiest temple. Here's our teaching. This is our philosophy. We need an infusion of funds to establish." That's a good idea. I think I'll try that. Mm-hmm. To uh, to serve him, and his, you know, this is a form of Mahavishnu. You can tell him we go along with that. <laughs> if you want to see it like that, it's no problem. We'll honor your vision yeah, for a while, and we'll use it <laughs> to establish Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. This is not. This is really a mundane, competitive idea, as I say. The Vaikuntha vision is a valid spiritual vision. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is very is, is very inclusive. Hmm? So that we find Brihad Bhagavatam is showing that all these realizations are within that as well. Hmm. So, in, in our standard, is we, we we will explain it as best we can, but we 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 exhibit it by the standard of humility that Mahaprabhu mandated. Hmm. That's how we'll convince them. Hmm. Krishna is more charming. 
by being more charming ourselves. And if someone's humble, it's hard to argue with them. You make good arguments, they make arguments. You say, well, I don't agree with you, but anyway, I, let me touch your feet and so forth. And like, oh, you're a nice guy. <laughs> you know, Let's take Prashadam. And then we made... I mean, how did Mahabrabhu convert Venkata? Venkata Bhatta was the head priest of the Sri Rangam temple. This is the head place uh, you know, of, of, of uh, the center of the worship of the Ramanuja Sampradaya. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spent four months there. And now they have a deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu there, standing, I think, next to the to a Gambir or something like that, like in Puri, hmm? and looking at the deity and so forth. They honor his presence there, but they have a certain perspective on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But from Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find that at one point, 500 years ago, the head priest of the Sri Rangam temple and his son, Gopal, who became the great Gopal Bhatta, Goswami, authored many of the some of the core Gaudiya books. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the family was converted. And how did Mahaprabhu convert him? By joking with him, actually. He told, he made it made a joke. He said, well, I had wondered about this. He said, you know, we're worshipping Narayan here with Lakshmi. And I was wondering, why is it that Lakshmi, who is the chaste wife of Narayan, wanted to go off with Krishna? It doesn't sound very chaste. Venkata said, oh, that's not a problem. You see, Krishna and Narayan, Krishna is one of the avatars of Narayan. So it's just another face of, of her husband. That's all. No problem. Mahaprabhu said, okay, very good. But I was wondering further then why she was unsuccessful in having a, a, a romantic relationship with, with Krishna. Venkata said, uh, oh, my God. He said, I, I can't, my mind doesn't go that far. Uh, only someone could ask that question could know the answer. Mahaprabhu was making light with him, and he converted him through this. He's, and his son Mahaprabhu, at that point, then he had the teachable moments, hmm? and he taught him Krishna is too, Bhagavan Swayam, the key to understanding the Bhagavatam, and he became Gaudiya Vaishnav. And his son Gopalbhata became a very re renowned uh, Gaudiya Vaishnav. Him and his wife became Gaudias. Hmm? So. By joking, it's a kind of philosophical joking <laughs> of sorts. But it's a very kind of a simple argument. We can argue, and Mahaprabhu dealt with the Shaivite, Vishnavite, Vaishnav argument too. In South India, the Shaivites fighting with the Vaishnavas. Shiva supreme, no Vishnu supreme. Mahaprabhu said, well, I don't know, but I know this, that it's, it, it, Shiva's depicted in the literature as taking the Ganges on his head. Because hmm? it comes to the world. And the Gandhi says the foot wash of Vishnu. So you tell me. Hmm. And he went on chanting. <laughs> uh, so his, his way of converting was very simple in terms of the arguments that were made and very heavy in terms of his personal example, which was so compelling. Hmm. So he is, he is interesting because he is, he, this is Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in his, we say, Acharya Leela playing as an acharya. And an acharya, typically, even Prabhupada said it himself, the, the, the principal contribution of the acharya is, is to author a book, and typically it was a commentary on the Vedanta. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't make any commentary on the Vedanta to establish his school. Hmm? Um, 
but he was Krishna is an Acharya Leela. And the other side, of course, of the Acharya is Achar. It means behavior. So he taught by his behavior, by his example, very heavy emphasis on this over theology. And I know we have a lot of theology, we have a lot of philosophy given by the Goswamis hmm? to change our behavior, <laughs> hopefully. Hmm? But the point is that the behavior is most compelling by your example. Mahaprabhu just filled with love of God and, and overwhelming humility and, and, uh, and, and so forth. And people were melted by that. He didn't have to say much. He joked with Venkata. He remained silent before Prakashananda. Hmm? Before, I should say, he paid, he paid his respect to Prakashananda, washed the feet of the sannyasi. Sarvabhauma, he remained silent for seven days. And that converted him. The philosophy that came afterwards was just like sealing the case. But he was converted at that point. The silence of Mahaprabhu just was so... He had given everything. Sarvabhauma was the, is the... says in Encyclopedia Britannica, he was the wisest you know, logician of, uh, in Indian history. So he gave everything he had. The logic of Vedanta. Vedanta is, is uh, the Nyaya Shastra in a sense. It's the, it's the logic of the Shastras. Bhagavatam is the commentary on that. Hmm? And so he gave everything he had. He, 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 he gave seven different, I think, or what is it, nine or seven different interpretations of the Atmarama verse. And he thought, this will dazzle him, the boy. Chaitanya, 24-year-old boy, as a sannyasi, I'm trying to school him and make him sober so that he can maintain his commitment, his vows, and so forth. And Mahaprabhu said nothing. He said, well, you know, here, what's your opinion? And he said, Mahaprabhu said, well, it's interesting, but I think that you missed the point here. Well, do you have anything to say? Then he gave like 64 explanations of the Atmarama verse. Such uh, opulence of knowledge he manifested that Sarvabhoma was completely overwhelmed. But the silence was really the, what made him start to doubt himself. He was quite sure of himself. And, he, and Gopinath was arguing with him, his brother-in-law, Chaitanya is, is Bhagawan, what can you do to school him? You've got it all wrong. And Mahaprabhu said, ah, that's all right, let him school me. He's my senior. He was a friend of my, my father's father hmm? from Bengal. He's my kaka, my uncle, you know, my guru. I used, you know, I'm only 24 years old. Hmm? He didn't say, I'm Bhagawan, yes. We'll crush him. <laughs> this is not his, his leela. So he sat, he listened to Sarvabhama attentively and quietly. And the, the gravity of his silence made Sarvabhama start to doubt his position, his own position. You can try that sometime. Just be silent. Hmm? It starts to create a doubt in the, the opponent. <laughs> so anyway, this way he converted him. He, in the sannyasis of, of Banaras, the big place of learning there. He, he was invited there. They were all convinced that his chanting and dancing was some kind of deviation from Vedanta. He should be sitting and soberly doing meditation, studying the Mahavakyas, the sounds of the Vedantin, penetrating on, meditating on their significance, like Zen cones, you know, Tattvamasi, Ahambramasmi, and so forth. He was out with musical instruments, chanting and dancing. It looked like, you know, what kind of a sannyasi is this? And so 
They invited him there. He came. He sat where they washed the feet before going in the temple. And he, he, he washed others' feet as they came in. Hmm? And as they looked at him, Prakashananda looked at him, the leader of the sannyasis. He looked at him and he saw that kind of humility. Hmm? Then he started to experience that the light of Brahman, that is the object of my attainment, is his halo. Hmm? And he's washing everybody's feet. Hmm? He was converted. Some philosophy follows that, but that was the conversion. So Mahaprabhu's emphasis was, was he was an acharya, this is Krishna, and his acharya in the full sense of the term. Yes, an acharya should have a commentary and write books and so forth, but the fuller, in a sense, idea hmm, is that his or her behavior in itself will be powerful and compelling, and Mahaprabhu demonstrated this. You look at all of his different conversions, they're very simple. Hmm. In the arguments, the weight of his example, as I said, example speaks louder than precept. Hmm? So, yes. Can you entertain a comment from me? I can entertain a comment from you. If it's not too long. Basic dishonesty in the question that if somebody said, come in. I doubt that if you combine this and this in the chemistry, you'll get that. But uh, in science, there's a hypothesis, procedure, mm -hmm. and then you draw conclusions. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in our life. We have a hypothesis, and we have a procedure. But if the one says, if he says, oh, oh, am I condemned to doubt that if you combine this and this, you'll get that for the rest of my life? But if he never goes into the laboratory, then he's not, it's not an honest question. Mm -hmm. If he really wants to ask, he should try our process. But I think the question goes further than that. And the question is, I'm trying to process, but I doubt that I can combine the things. I might spill things, and I, I won't be successful if the doubt goes that far. I, I, I don't doubt that the process, or it's not really a process in a sense, but that, that it works, that Krishna consciousness is real. I, I don't doubt it, but I doubt that I could could do it. I doubt that I could be successful. So you have to switch in this you have to switch the focus. It's not about what you will do. It's about how merciful Bhagwan is. Don't doubt the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The mercy is like some will say, Well, I don't think I'm qualified for initiation. I'll say, Well what are you gonna to do to get qualified? <laughs> well I'm gonna do this, that and the other well, these are all the things that come from Bhakti. So you, you know, there's no better way to do that. You know, well, I want to clean my heart. I want to become, you know, all fixed up. You know, in what it begins with, uh, with the merciful, uh, the Godhead extending Himself to us. You know, through, through the Guru, the Guru Parampara and initiation. So it, it, it's a, it's a wrong way of looking at it. We shouldn't. If we, do you doubt? Then the answer could be: Do you doubt that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was merciful? That Krishna is merciful? What did Uddhava say? And who is Uddhava? Uddhava is Krishna's advisor in, in, in Dwaraka, in Natura. Hmm? He's Shastravit. He, I mean, he knows everything. Shastra, very well. That's why the Braj Lila is beyond Shastra. Shutibibhimrigyam, he said. Ah, this is like beyond the Vedas, what, what the Braj Bhakti is. Krishna sent me here ostensibly to teach them. And... I tried to give them Brahma Gyan, you shouldn't lament, you shouldn't cry, and then I realized they're crying because they love Krishna. They're attached. How can I tell them not to cry about that? I mean, if I could tell them you shouldn't cry, things in this world are temporary and so forth, and 
but their attachment is to Krishna. He was bewildered in such such an extreme. So he was bewildered by that, and he, he ostensibly went there to teach them, but he actually went there to be schooled by them. Hmm? So the Brajalila off the map, and he says off the Vedic map. It's like Mahaprabhu said to uh, he said Jiva Goswami cites him. What, what is that verse? Shrotim api upanishadam dure harikatamritam. The Upanishad, the sounds of the Upanishads, like Tattvamasi, Aham Brahmasmi, hmm? these are Dure Harikatamrita. Dure means far. They're very far from Harikata, where you can go with Harikata. Then he says, Kampashru Pulakaraya, and he describes Astasatvika, Bikar, the kind of transformations hmm? that we find in the Brajlok and so forth. All these things. You can't get that by saying Aham Brahmasmi. Hmm? By Harikata you can get whatever you can get by saying Aham Brahmasmi and so much more. Hmm? So, anyway, Uddhava experienced it and then Uddhava said, what? He said, you got to be out of your mind, he said. Let me give you an example, he said. To approach anybody else make anybody than Krishna. Because there's nobody more merciful than Krishna. Putana, he said. What did she do? She disguised herself like a mother and on her breast she put poison. I mean, this would make the headline. This would be a case. You'd have to get a really good lawyer to get her off the hook, you know. She put poison on her breast and came in as a mother to the infant who can't defend himself. Hmm? How dastardly, you know, how, how, how criminal could you be? Hmm? And what happened? He gave her Vatsali Bhakti, Vatsali Rasa. So Uddhava just, he's a smart guy, point is. And so he made, he said, who in their right mind would take shelter of anybody other than Krishna? And we would say, and Krishna has come as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has also appeared in his other self as the form of Nityananda Prabhu, as we described earlier. So the idea is, how can I not be successful with these, this kind of kindness and mercy and uh, generosity and so forth? Hmm? So even, and therefore, even if you mix it wrong, but you want to do it right, then Baba Grahi Janardana, this is the uh, description of Krishna. Even if you, you say it wrong, mantra wrong, you, 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 you make some mistake, you know, offering the Arctic or something like that, hmm? yeah. but your heart's in the right place and he accepts it. In the Karma Marg, if you don't get everything right, you just get black smoke you know, on your face, no results. Hmm? You might get the opposite result even. But in bhakti, then, as I say, very generous. What is the, the place of rules there? The heart, hmm? in the right place. Yes. Oh, just a follow-up. I was wondering, for the other uh, Vaishnava um, sampradayas, how much bhakti are they cultivating in their practices? Well, you had asked about bhakti, bhakti. So, they, they there's there's prem, there's bhava, shuddha bhakti in. In uh, these sampradayas, uh, this also explained by Rupa Goswami, uh, Vishnu Bhakti, 
this is um, has its own bhava and its own prem. Uh, and it's uh, the prema of shantarasa, dasyarasa, in in reverence. There's a dasyarasa in intimacy also, in 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 Golok, in in, in the Braj. Hmm? But in Baikunta, then this uh, these it's got two and a half rasas, hmm? shanta dasya, and half of friendship, half reverential friendship. Hmm? Um, it's 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 less intimate than Arjun. Arjun is in you know is in the Dwarkali, the Hastinapur, and so forth. This is with with in relation to Krishna. So here it's in relation to Narayan. Hmm. So he has some servants who are a little closer, hmm. but uh, reverential. So that's what what comes from um, Sri Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya. Hmm. These are Vaidhi Marg Sampradayas. It's a very wonderful thing, actually, by Kuntam. Yes, any question here? Um, it's Marangopal. Uh, Gurmaraj, you said last, yesterday, that not all the flowers bloom at the same time. Is it possible that by the force of a guru's quote-unquote bloom, that his or her disciples may have to spend less time in the quote-unquote basics? Or in your example yesterday, on the first nine cantos, being able to move on to or more quickly approach where the guru is living, is or is experiencing. Well, um, uh, yeah, you might have to spend less time studying all nine cantos in in detail. Uh, but uh, Prabhupada gave us the tenth canto first himself in the form of the Krishna book, and we distributed it everywhere. Um, I... Uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't encourage... Um, I don't like the language too much. We don't have to spend time on the basics because our guru is... What is the idea? Our guru is so great, we don't need to spend time in the basics. But we're, it doesn't make us great because we have a great guru. I mean, it does in a sense, but only as much as we apply ourselves in relation to the teaching. Now, he or she may emphasize in a particular way hmm, that, uh, and, and, and then we should pay attention to that. And uh, whatever that guru emphasizes we should do, then we should think that's basic for us, what he is or she is preoccupied with and the way in which they're teaching it and so forth. You should follow that hmm? from beginning to end. That may be different in a way another acharya in a different time presented and so forth. So you don't have to be as concerned with that. Be concerned with your time and your situation hmm? and how the dispensation is coming to you. Now we're in a time, for example, let's say when Prabhupada came here at a time, there was no idea of Krishna Bhakti in uh, North America. Hmm. And practically speaking, there was no other idea of Vedanta other than uh, Advaita Vedanta. It was pretty much thought to be the be-all and end-all of Hinduism, and it wasn't an idea that was very uh, had much popularity or interest. Uh, had a, a, so 19, whatever, 64, 65, 
um, he taught in a particular way, with a particular emphasis. The audience is very different now. Hmm? All kinds of people have come from India and taught all kinds of different things about Vedanta and yoga. And I mean, in those days, uh, you didn't know the difference between yogurt and yoga, practically. Hmm? And yogurt was as unpopular as yoga. Uh, you know, now they have, you know, frozen yogurts and you know, all those places everywhere, as if it's just a common thing. And it is. But it didn't used to be like that. It was some weird Bulgarian, you know, old world stuff, you know. So uh, so the audience was different, and Prabhupada emphasized and taught in a certain way. And uh, now you have, and Prabhupada talked about it himself, The this another phenomenon. You have devotees, and devotees have children, who were raised with the sangskara for bhakti. And they were born in a family of devotees for good reasons and so forth. So what we find is that the, the, the field is very different. There's so much more understanding or theoretical understanding of bhakti out and about. The theory has been, is, is, I mean, it's not like, it used to be you could go and uh, rent a house, cook a vegetarian meal, invite people over, tell them you're not the body and you're not God, but you're a soul and so forth. And, you know, you'd start a temple and people would support it. So it would be a little harder these days. You'd get some devotees would come over and say, who are you? You know, what's your authorization to start a temple in this zone or whatever you might run into? You know, it's a whole, di- it's a whole different field. And you'll have people come, uninitiated people come and uh, and ask what is the, uh, how is it that the, what's the difference between the Sarup Shakti and the Tathasta Shakti when the Tathasta Shakti enters into, you know, Goloka under the influence of the Sarup Shakti? And the guy's not even initiated or anything. So, probably didn't get those kind of questions. He was just defining the terms, in, 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 you know, to, to, to some extent, given the feel. And that's his greatness, you know. Like I said, the greatness of a person like Prabhupada is to be, preoccupied somewhere else and bring yourself down from that to deal with others in such a way that they can have uh, the opportunity to start to participate and so forth. So we shouldn't keep the teachings that were very pertinent and relevant to a certain time and circumstance in place in a new time and circumstance. That defeats the whole idea of the parampara. So you may find now, you may find you have a teacher, a guru, who's teaching in a way answering questions, giving m- m- more explanation, more, more, more theory and so forth, than, uh, or taking the, the seeds of the theory, for example, in Prabhupada's books, and playing them out and saying, you know, this idea is coming from this book over here. We'll go to this book. We'll read the whole book. We'll study the book. We'll translate the book. We'll, we'll comment on it and so forth. So this is going on in the Godi community. This is to be expected. This is desirable. Hmm? And so you should identify with your own teacher, your own guru, and his or her emphasis. And he may not say, you know, read all the nine cantos before reading the tenth canto. Um, the Prabhupada did say things like that, and there's a good point to it. So, but also, he, as I said, he also gave the tenth canto in the form of the Krishna book before he gave anything else. Giriraj Maharaj, I think it was, asked him about it, and he said, well, you know, give him a little appetizer of what's to come. So give him a little taste of, you know, get him involved. So, um, but nobody's recommending that you don't study the 
Bhagavatam. We're giving classes from the first canto at the moment. But, uh, yeah, the emphasis will be different, given the different, the different time, and then we should apply ourselves to that wholeheartedly, just like in Prabhupada's time we applied ourselves to, to exactly what he was teaching, and we, we come to the position we're in today to teach and, and to be able to um, digest more of, of the meal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Does that help? You have a follow-up question? Yeah. Well, something just... Uh I think along the lines of what uh, Don was referring to is also what uh, Rupa Goswami mentions in the Padeshkamrita, that if we're going to seek guru, let us seek that guru who is at the topmost platform. It'll make our treading of the path a lot simpler. Uh-huh. So if we, should we try to find a, uh, not the best guru? Well, we want to, we want an Uttama Anakari. We take some guru who's also on a lesser platform, uh, our progress could be somewhat hindered. Um, well, I would say this to that, that, uh, that we should try to find the guru, the representation of Krishna in the world that really works for us, and according to our sukriti and capacity, we're going to have a certain vision on that. Hmm? And um, there are people that hear from me and then think, this is this is great, this is it. Well, how could it be otherwise? And the other people hear and say, that's pretty nice, but I'd like to go over here. Hmm? So we honor that also. And I think that that's best for them. Hmm? Um, and this is best for others and so forth. Now, there may be that one is giving a more developed idea, but the other person may not be able to digest it. So better they get a meal that they can digest. Now, the, 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 the future for that may be that if the good student does, starts to digest, then the guru who has less knowledge and realization may run out of f- food hmm? at a certain point. So the disciple may, the appetite may grow and, uh, and, and and he may not be able to nourish and feed. So then, therefore, the principle of a Siksha Guru who has more knowledge or realization comes into the picture. Even in the life of one's own initiating Guru, that possibility is there. And we, there are many instances of, of such. And so then, then, with the blessing of the Diksha Guru, then they take more nourishment from the Siksha Guru, and sometimes even the Diksha Guru will take nourishment from that Siksha Guru, that's possible. So, yes and no, uh, I guess, is the answer. It's, it, no, what's best is what's best for you, but relatively speaking, and you'll find a guru accordingly. But in the long term, um, yeah, the, 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 the more realization and spirituality that we're connected with, the, the, the better prospect we have for making progress. Hmm. So, according to our capacity, we should try to find a um, superlative uh, uh, devotee to take shelter of. Hmm? What's our capacity? Hmm? Is that? Well, that Shridhar brings that out. Shridhar Marsh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's our capacity? How, how could we know who mm-hmm. in our condition? Right. We are limited. We have no 
Mm-hmm. Some, <laughs> but it's different for different people. So there are different, different agents. Mm-hmm. So what is the time? Seven forty-five. Okay. Are there any more questions here? Should we take it or <laughs> wait till tomorrow? Let's hear. Um, it's actually a question from Saki. Uh, today you mentioned that the devotee has no more material attraction upon reaching the stage of Ruchi. I understood that Bharat Maharaj had attained Bob but still fell due to material attachment. What am I misunderstanding, please? So Bharat Maharaj was in Bhava Bhakti. He became attached to a deer. Hmm? And then he meditated on the deer or something, and he died. He took birth as a deer. Hmm? So how can it be that someone in Ruchi has no desire, which is the teaching, nadanam, nadanam, nasundarim, but someone in Bhava <laughs> develops attachment for a deer? So this is, this is a story in Bhagavatam, to, you know, to, for, for the purpose of it is to caution us that we should be careful to keep ourselves focused in, in our practice. This is the idea. And therefore, uh, this was, uh, you know, sometimes we find the hand of God is at play in the so-called fall down of a devotee. Hmm? And then he gives them some shobana karma, it's called. It's a beautiful karma arranged by Krishna to teach a lesson. So a devotee may be used by Bhagavan to teach other devotees. This is the situation of Bhard Maharaj. It's a, it, 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 it doesn't mean to say that you can develop material attachment in bhava. You can make a fence in bhava. That's the teaching. But we don't find that the teaching is that you can develop material attachment. So, therefore, it's an extraordinary example. It's an arrangement of Bhagavan to teach others, just in general, hmm, that we should be focused, we shouldn't be... If we have any attachment, we'll have to take birth again, so forth. And so, of course, what can you do? You can't just get rid of attachments. It's, a, it's gradual. And so forth. But that's the, the teaching. But there's no... Uh, hmm, as I said, Vishnu Chakrabhitakur has, uh, has said, well, we were talking in relation to what? Uh, Anarthas from Bhakti, they're eradicated in Ruchi, but we also made the point. Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundarim, Kavitam, Bhajagadisha, Kamaye, Mamajanmani, Janmanishwari, Babatat Bhakti, Raharitaki, This is a safe position, Ruchi. Hmm? Yeah, I suppose you can say. And Sridhar once said it, that even Sarup Shakti is not a safe position. I mean, he also said, Ruchi is the safe position. But then he, even from Sarup Shakti, one can fall. So this is along the same line. Sarup Shakti means the perfection of Bhav Bhakti. Not, not did I say Sarup Shakti? I, I meant to say Sarup Siddhi. Even from Sarup Siddhi, one can fall. So Bhattivinodhakar has made a distinction between Sarup Siddhi and... Vastu Siddhi. Hmm? Surup Siddhi means that we've 
the budding of the stai bhava comes in bhava bhakti and it's cultivated in relation with other bhavas. When it becomes mature, it becomes prem. That means and rasa becomes p- possible. Then one can enter into the braj lila wherever Krishna appears in the world with his associates. This is all surup city. From there, one develops one's stai bhava hmm? from prem and further development, sneha, man, pranai, rag, bhav, and bhav, relative to your particular stai bhav. If it's in Vatsalya, it'll go a certain distance. If it's in Sakya, a certain distance. If it's a Priyanarma Sakya, a further distance. If it's Gopi bhav, and so forth. So that development is in, in contact with the hands-on kind of association with the eternal associates of Krishna. Hmm? This is different than Invaiti Bhakti. Invaiti Bhakti for reverential love, you, you, you end material desire, you develop prema, you go to Vaikuntha. But you cannot go to the Golok, to the Brajlila, hmm, like that. So you, uh, so you go to wherever Krishna's Lila is being performed in the material world. You take birth there, hmm, as a Gopa or a Gopi. Hmm. This is Sarup City. From there, then, when a Lila becomes unmanifest, so it, then you go. That's called Vastu City. Then from Yadgatvananivartanteta Gita says, for example, you can never return from there. So Sridhar Samar said, just to emphasize this same idea that, that it's possible, theoretically, even from Sarup Siddhi, one could fall. Then he gave an example, a story from the Puranas of a Pujari in a Vishnu temple. Hmm? I don't know if I can remember the whole details of the story, but the gist of it is that the Pujari was in the temple, he was serving and so forth, and um, somehow he got... Uh, distracted, hmm? and he, st- ah, I'm sorry, I can't remember, I think he stole a piece of jewelry or something from the temple to sell it in order to satisfy some lady, and ended up with the lady, and the whole thing, and then, uh, <laughs> and, um, and there was a whole story how the deity arranged to get him back, hmm? And, um, and I, I'm really sorry, I can't remember it. But anyway, he, he, what he basically explained was he fell from his position, but it was Vishnu's arrangement for the sake of teaching and so on and so forth. So that's a special affair. So I think we could look at, at Bart Marsh um, like that. And of course, his birth as a deer was such that he could hear and remember his previous life and he kept himself in the forest where sages were reciting the Bhagavatam and deers have excellent sense of hearing. So he just listened to the Bhagavatam his whole whole life as a deer <laughs> with, with full consciousness of his previous life and what was going on and so forth in the deer's body. And then he took birth as the Jad Bharata. Jad Bharata. Jad means like, like, like stone, like matter or something. He was oblivious to external conditions and so on and so forth and and when they were looking for somebody to make a sacrifice for the goddess Durga they wouldn't they they found this, uh, this they they got this guy Judd Barta thought he was well this guy's hardly functional in human society he's like deaf and dumb and weird and so forth so we'll use him as a human sacrifice for the goddess mm-hmm. so they collected up the Judd Bart and they brought him in for the sacrifice he did whatever you want to do it's fine you know and so then they, what do they, they started to worship and then the deity cracked or something like that. And they were 
she wasn't you know so they backed off and then and then he be, he was collected up by the king's people and he was engaged in carrying the palanquin of the king one of the carriers you know and it's along the way there were some ants so he was trying to stay out of the way and the king was giving up getting a bumpy ride he said what's going on here you know now this fellow here he's doing a dance while he you know while he carries the palanquin. Well, then what's off with his head? What's going on? What's, what's with you? And then Judd Bart, maybe for the first time in his life, began to speak hmm, to Maharaj Rahugana. And beautiful Bhagavatam came from that. And the king was converted and so forth. And so, on. So, <laughs> so, oh, for the life of Judd Bart, if we could have a life like that, even if it meant taking birth as a deer, so we link some divine arrangement there to teach us. Just um, and can't be overly, overly cautious when we advise the students to pay attention and not get distracted. Hmm? But the possibility of becoming um, distracted in Baba Bhakti is, according to Vishnachakritaku and others, it's not a, it's not a possibility. Aparad is a possibility that can get in the way. But all anarthas from other sources like Duskritartha, Sukritartha, from Bhakti and, or, and so forth, they're all completely eradicated. Only from offense can they remain. Hmm. Does that help? Yes. More follow up. So, is it possible for a Bhagavata to actually commit Aparada just from his past? It's, uh, I suppose you could. Same kind of thing. Seems rather un- unlikely. Yeah. If there are any examples, it's, these are just, you look at them carefully, you play them out, and you see this isn't an ordinary uh, example. So if anybody in Bhava Bhakti gets distracted, there's something else going on along with that, is the idea. So, all right, we'll stop there. Shri Janmashtami Mahotsubha Ki Jai Gaur Bhakti Vrindaki Jai Bhut Premanande Jai